And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 231 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I'm Megan. Welcome back. It has been a while. It has. It has. It has been since the first issue of Nailbiter. I would say so four months, but did that start before yeah. the... Okay. No, uh, it started... No, I mean, it was like April. <laughs> okay. What even is time? <clears throat> I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. Um, I am going to ask, though, how was that first episode of season six of Schitt's Creek? Because that dropped on Netflix today. It was excellent. I watched the first three episodes. I th- Yeah, I think I paused in four. Gotcha. I have only seen the first one and like the first three minutes of the second. Because um, then I uh, realized yes. I needed to do show notes and wanted to pay attention. So I paused to come back understandable i did a similar thing because i wanted to hang some stuff up yeah i am mostly just excited to have it back even if it's the end of it i know but i hear it's the best finale so i'm very much looking forward to that good good i am excited (laughs) okay comics oh yeah that is a thing isn't it yep the department of truth number one so this this is a new tynan book Mm-hmm. I did not really know exactly what to expect going into this beyond the very broad premise that what if conspiracy theories were all real? <laughs> and I really dug it. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know that. I just knew it was number one and I tend to like Image Comics, so I figured I'd give it a shot. And then both you and Tim were like, this is amazing. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. I'm glad I got up a <laughs> copy of it. It had a lot of variants, if I remember correctly. It did have a few, um, and I feel like it's going to end up with even more because I think it's already gone back for a second and maybe third printing. Nice. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, totally worth it. Um, The art in this is just, it's amazing because it's very... um, It's like watching an old videotape. Yeah, it's not in focus at all, uh, except for the woman in red. And I kind of love that. Yeah, I I did grab the uh, Jenny Frisson variant that is the woman in red. Oh, I didn't even see. Yeah, it's a red background. It's like her head and shoulders, and she's raising a hand to like lower her glasses. So you see the two two eyes or what have you. (laughs) Yeah, no, this was great. Uh, I love... um... I don't love conspiracy theories. I used to, um, but they're kind of taking over the world right now. Yeah, I I don't, I've never been a conspiracy theory person. They kind of have always irritated me. Um, but what I like about this is that's kind of about how they spread and why they're, it's like, it's like it's about the psychology and the worldview of so many people buying into them. 
Yeah, I did really like how they describe and explain conspiracy theories in this and why they end up being um, such a thing that so many people do buy into. Yeah. It's very much like a, a, a magic, right? Like the more, in the rules of the book, the more people believe the thing, the more broadly that thing comes to be true. So if suddenly everyone believes the earth will be flat, the earth will be flat, and all of this time everyone will have been lying to you, and right. plane maps will no longer, flight paths will no longer work, and all of this stuff will be retroactively changed. Yeah, I mean, that is essentially what a tulpa is, and uh, I, I had a lot of fun walking around being like, um, it's not a tulpa, which is a uh, supernatural reference to a... Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Ah, uh, oh, I see what you did there. It's a Tuma. Yep. Yep. I got there eventually. Yeah, it takes a minute. Like you have to have seen that episode of Supernatural where they talk about tulpas and, and understand that Dean makes a reference, and anything Dean does is perfect. So it's great. I have never seen any Supernatural, so I will take your word for it. That is on you. I know. Um. I do want to talk about the coloring in this. So Martin Simmons is the artist, and he colors himself. And I think he does a really great job of switching up the coloring and using that, like you said, a lot of the art feels out of focus or kind of sketchy and shadowy and undefined even sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um but I think he does a great job of using color not only to draw focus and sort of set a sense of time and place, but to really, like, to make the moments that are more ethereal, where, for instance, they, the, the main character in this is taken to Antarctica to be shown the edge of the world because this small, like, the Earth is flat biome has popped up there because enough people believe it. <laughs> And he uses, I think, the color to define those moments of change and fluctuation so well in a book that already feels like it's shifting and moving and flowing on the page. Yeah. That I think by having that use of color, it makes the other kind of sketchy, undefined stuff feel more concrete and grounded. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, I I think the the art in this is just incredibly well done. Like from opening the page and being like, "All right, I have no idea what's going to happen here, but I am in it." Yeah. Um I was I was not prepared for the last page of this. Yeah, um <laughs> I know you bo- boys both love the last page. I was just kind of like, "Huh, okay." I mean, I was a little more, huh, okay, just I did not expect it. I knew when I read it that Tim would eat it up. That's true. For good reason. Yeah. Uh, it, like, is, it is a great twist. I, I, I think it's a cool twist. Obviously, we don't really get a whole lot of what that means for the bigger context of this thing. Um, and I'm assuming we won't for a while. No, like, he even says near the end of the issue, this this character who I'm not going to name, uh, he even says, though, like, no, you know that asking questions will just raise more questions. Don't worry about that right now. At least be on the clock before you start asking questions. I did appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's kind of the, yeah, we get, that's kind of to the reader, the, yeah, we get it. We know you've got a lot of questions, but 
come on, you think we're just going to answer everything right away? Exactly. <laughs> I I feel justified in having done something I never do when I bought the the physical copy of Razor Blades. I also ordered a Department of Truth lapel pin, and I'm glad I liked this this much, so I don't feel silly for having <laughs> already ordered that piece of merch. Are they still selling the pin? I think so. I'm gonna have to go look at that now. Yeah, it's it's the like government emblem logo, the round. The round yes. seal with the Department of Truth, United States of America, and the, the I'm going to call it Bill Cipher in the middle. <laughs> Always good. The all-seeing eye. Anything else? You got anything else? Not on this one. All right, let's move on to Nailbiter Returns. Yeah, um, don't want to say too much about this, um, but what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> So, I think we get two answers in this book that really raise more questions. Well, one of which definitely raises more questions. Um, I think the end of this arc is really just setting up what the book is actually about, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, We finally see... uh, Oh, shoot. What's her name? The Sheriff. See, that was the thing. I was like, I can't remember anybody's name in this. She has a bird name, doesn't she? Maybe. Let me. I don't know. It's literally sitting right here. I could just look, couldn't I? I don't know if they use her name. I know. They call her mom all the time. You say that like she's not a mom. Well, no, I know. Like, it's her daughter calling her mom. (laughs) Anyway, she finally shows up. If you've read the first six arcs of this, you know who we're talking about. The sheriff. Um, and if you haven't read the first six arcs, start there. Like, yeah, probably a good idea to start there. This is even being collected in trade as volume seven. So, oh, is it really? That's good. Yeah. Like, it's definitely a continuation. And that's that brings us to the first kind of answer we get. The first volume ends on what I feel like is kind of an infamous cliffhanger. Like, I know that there was a lot of, you really ended it like that? How dare you? Floating <laughs> around the internet. Um, and we finally the first or the last volume, the last volume of the first. Well, okay. When I say volume, I mean issues one through 30 of Nailbiter volume six ends with. Yes. The or else, or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Comics needs to come up with another word for, let's say first run of Nailbiter. The first run of Nailbiter ends with. The first arc. Well, no, because then that's like volume one to me. Yeah. Anyway, this is not... Our, we, we don't have to solve this problem. Um, <laughs> the first run ends with a cliffhanger involving the sheriff and presumably Warren, the nailbiter. And we finally see that scene picked up here. Yes. And we see what happened. Crane, that's her name. Crane. Thank you. I was like, it's not anywhere. I've seen everybody else's name but yeah. hers. It was. I knew it was some kind of bird because Crane and Finch. And also, yes. Warren calls her Little Bird. Because um, it always makes me think of uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary. Um, also a good bird. We, we finally see what happened to her and how she got to what's going on now from there. And then we learn what's going on, at least in name, which is the <laughs> Butcher Games. Yes. Which and apparently Crane and Warren created. That was the shocking part to me. Like, I... I was not surprised to know Warren knew something about this and what was right. going on. Like, that's Warren's M.O. Yeah, but 
Crane and Warren dated. I mean, they have a child, so, you know. Yeah, but I they're... I don't know if I just had forgotten, or if they... I guess I just forgotten, like, how sort of invested in the culture of serial killers she was when she was younger. <laughs> Fair. I mean, it's kind of hard not to be in this town. Right. Um. Just, she and Alice are the best, though. And yes. there is a scene, there is a scene where, like, the guys rush in to rescue them. <laughs> oh my god. I <laughs> looked at this scene for a while, because it took me a minute to realize who was wearing the SWAT outfit. I was like, what the <laughs> hell is going on here? I love this book. I, I, I love this book so much. I always forget yeah. how much. I know I said that when we did the episode about it, but... No, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat, where it's like, I definitely want to sit down and reread the first six volumes again um i probably won't because you know time and other things but i'm really glad it's back yeah and And that it's not suffered and we haven't talked a whole lot about this first arc because brian hasn't been reading it so when we get Uh, to the spooktacular uh we'll talk more about just this arc as a whole yeah definitely yeah because there is a new issue next month Yes. Um, according to the last, and I'm assuming those have actually been updated. Um, but all the other um, trades were five issues, so I'm assuming this is. I mean, the way that it ends, it, it is very clearly the end of an arc. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think like they've even. Well, I know they've put out the solicitation for volume seven. I think it is one through five. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, but like you said, this definitely feels like the end of an arc, so I'm cool with our talking about it for the spectacular. Yeah. Did Brian read the first six? Brian has read, I think, the first three volumes. I okay. don't know. Because we did the episode, and he read the first half for it. And I know he like wanted to immediately sit down and finish it. I don't know if, as crazy as his work projects have been, if right. he actually got the chance to. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So maybe maybe he'll do it at the beach. Brian's at the beach right now, by the way. That's why Brian's not here. That's why I'm here. Yes. Uh, the Immortal Hulk, The Threshing Place, one <laughs> shot. You told me you had read this, and I was a little worried as, like, convoluted, in a good way, but like as complex as The Immortal Hulk has gotten in its main book, and as much as these one shots have kind of relied on a lot of knowledge of what's going on but this one actually i think stands alone pretty well i think it really does because i am always behind on the immortal hulk um as much as i love it i just don't keep up with a lot of marvel and dc stuff um that being said i was really glad to have an excuse to grab a copy um that's not true. I didn't grab a copy. I was like, you read my copy. I read your copy, yes. Um, and yeah, at first, I it has some serious flashbacks to like an earlier book. I don't know if it's book one. I really don't think it is, but it is definitely an earlier book. And I was like, did I did I pick up the wrong thing? Hang on a second. Shit. Like, am I reading the wrong thing? And it's like three panels, and it's like, but this is very different. Yeah. No, you're and, right. It's, I think it's I. I think you're right that it's not number one, but I do think it is literally issue two. Yeah, I, I definitely think it was in like the first trade. Um, and no offense to the writer, the story was a little predictable. But that being said, it still went away after that. I was like, okay, that I predicted. And it still went past that. And I liked that. Um, and I like just kind of the message of this. Um 
I don't know how spoilery we wanted to get. I mean, I'm cool with whatever spoilers on just about any of the stuff we're talking about today, cool. truth be told. Um, so yeah, we there's he's going to the small town. Um, a little girl has gone missing, some people have been killed, and it is very clear that it is something with gamma rays. Um and I immediately went, Cool, the girl turns into a Hulk. And then yeah. that's not quite what happens, but it's close. Yeah, well, I think, like, a little bigger picture, and maybe this is the one thing that just reading this by itself hurts the book a little bit. I, I do agree with you that, like, a lot of the beats, a lot of the beats are the beats you expect. It It's good because Jeff Lemire makes them interesting, but they're not surprising. Um, But I think in the context of what's going on, like, seeing that the, the I almost called it the green, this isn't Swamp Thing. But the place below, the green door, is still opening and affecting yes. random people who had nothing to do with the creation of the Hulk. Knowing what we know about the causality behind that lore, behind who's pulling the strings and what some of it means, mm -hmm. I think that makes it a little more ominous because it feels like part of this pattern that the, the person behind it could show up anywhere, take over anyone, and could leave these sort of ticking time bombs to control in the future. Sure. Um, that being said, I really like that um, he crashes into the government's room mm -hmm. just to be like, fuck you guys. And he pauses when the woman's like, I have a family. And then there's like this single arc of a water bowl, uh, like a dog water bowl. and this um i almost called it a safety pin it's a hair um clip yeah with a with a flower on it that has been very clearly established belongs to this little girl and i was like that is a, such an easy yet creepy way of just being like they didn't give a shit about this kid yeah i that moment stood out to me and there's also a panel where I don't know if this was in Lemire's script or just the way Mike Del Mundo chose to to lay it out, where the Hulk has picked up the sheriff who has locked Bruce in a cell. Yes. And he's been eating popcorn, and he's still holding the popcorn while the Hulk is holding him. And he tells the Hulk an obvious lie, won't tell the Hulk the truth. And the Hulk just kind of pops him, and his head pops off, but the popcorn bucket with the pop yes. exclamation point on it blocks it and it's this great composition bit yes i really really liked that it's a way of getting that like creepy gore factor in without actually doing it yeah um and then well, yeah at the very end he sits down and talks with the dad and is like they're not gonna stop coming after her um but the difference is that she has you and i really liked that yeah yeah a lot of a lot of the latest issues have been about Bruce's relationship to his dad, which is not good. Sense. So like Shocker. that moment that moment I think really ties into what they've been doing in this last arc or so. Very cool. Shang Chi number one. Um I do not know a ton about Shang Chi. Okay. Uh I picked this up for two reasons. One, there's a Shang Chi movie coming out, so like I'd kinda like to be a little more in the know. Uh, and two, Gene, Gene Yang, who has done a lot of work over at DC, um, Superman, Superman of China, Justice League of China, 
the Terrifics, Superman Smashes the Clan. Uh, he's writing it. And it's really, really good. Um, I, I, I do not know how deep the lore that it's drawing on goes, but it makes everything super clear up front uh, without feeling like it's just holding your hand the whole time. Uh, the setup here is basically Shang-Chi was part of a family of martial artists, essentially. Each, each well, each, I don't know if each of the other leaders of the five groups that his father commanded were all related, or if just he and one other are. That is a question mark to me after this issue. But his father was the leader of this group of five different weapon-based uh, fighting armies, whatever you want to call them. Um, and in Marvel history, at some point, Shang-Chi is directly, indirectly responsible for his father's death. Someone else has ascended to running the group and he's like exiled living in the U S whatever. Uh, and a character shows up, deposes the guy who's running the organization and, Shang-Chi is chosen as the replacement, even though he's in exile. This does not work for, she's called Sister Hammer. This does not work for Sister Hammer. So she decides to put out a hit on Shang-Chi. And two of the other group leaders who run the, I think one is Sword and the other is Katana, maybe? Or, 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 no. I don't know. One was Sword, I forget what the other was. <laughs> um they basically show up and stop the assassination and like no we need to put you back in charge cuz this is going to go badly if sister hammer keeps running the show and that that's basically where this ends um so it's i think using the character's history really well uh it's a five issue mini series so it's set up to be a pretty contained story that i think will be a good a good thing to build off of if if this if this is successful if they want to do more or if they want to put out an ongoing closer to when the movie comes out yeah that was gonna be my question was i don't remember when the movie i I think it was still 2021 i don't think it was supposed to be a 2020 movie so it's not like this would have lined up with the movie yeah i think at this point probably this even falls to 2022 at least if i had to guess no no no. i'm talking about pre-covid like oh no no i know but like i think i think it came out in the last week maybe that marvel is planning to shift everything back a year no that i knew i was I guess while you were explaining it, my original question was, I wonder if this comic was supposed to line up with the movie. Oh, I and don't, then I don't my think so. thought process went, I think it was actually supposed to be 2021. Um, so maybe it was setting the stage to like you and other comic readers kind of give them this lore and this background before we go into it. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Because we don't. We Who's just writing it? Gene uh, Lu and Yang. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of other times Shang-Chi has shown up in the last decade. I know he was a supporting character in Domino for at least a couple of issues. And I think he showed up a little bit in Hickman's Avengers run, maybe in like Avengers World. But he really hasn't been super, super present, at least not in the like, not in the tentpole stuff. Okay. So I definitely feel like you're right that this is, this is like, Marvel saying, here, have some Shang-Chi, 
we're going to do a mini series and see how sales numbers are and how people feel about this. Right. Um, I do really like that they got Gene Yang to write it. Um, yeah. One, I, because I he's agree. a great writer, but two, because I think it helps to have voices Some... who understand. Yeah. Where an Asian character is, a Chinese character is coming from, because he is Chinese. No, I agree. I was bracing myself for who you were going to say, and I'm pleasantly surprised to hear that. So, yeah, uh, um, I assume the rest of the team is probably white, and that is also still a problem. But hey, you know what? We are starting to make changes. Let's just continue them. That is my quick soapbox. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure the artist. I do not know, but I believe the artist is also of Asian descent. Uh, DK okay, good. Ruan. Good job, Marvel. You started making changes. Yeah. Um, in fact, even a lot of the variants, I think they've picked oh, good. Asian okay. or Asian American artists to draw. Good. Like the one I got was Kim Jacinto. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, every now and then they get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll probably, uh, this will probably eventually end up on Comixology and I'll give it a shot then. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm just not a big superhero person. I, no, I, I know. know I say that every time, but, uh. I, I am curious, and I will probably see the movie, yeah. so. Well, and I will say, this doesn't have, like, big superhero vibes. This definitely feels like it's coming more from a, like, street-level martial arts place. Okay. Than from a capes and what, like, there's there's no Iron Man in this, there's no Cap, there's no, like, <laughs> superhero. Sure. Um, in fact, as far as I know, none of these, like, warrior clans are gifted with magical powers like say iron fist okay i think they're just really good with the weapons of their of their groups okay yeah um i mean i still get it it's still in a superhero world but i think it's less that no that's fair yeah. strange academy number three so i haven't read strange academy one and two but i decided to read this because it does have a ya feel from what i can tell and yeah. um that is definitely something that I'm always down for helping to promote um, these comics that are geared towards a little bit younger of a reader. Um, I enjoyed it, and I definitely will pick up the first arc once it's done. Um, and, I mean, I love New Orleans, so that was also good. Yeah, I. this is a very fun book. I really dig this book. Yeah, I can. I can see that. Like, the whole opening of just, like, trying to find the inner eye and kind of going through each student as they like try to do this. And I just kept laughing. Yeah. It's, it's Scotty young writing and he, he's really good at sort of hitting that kind of all ages sweet spot without it feeling just written at kids. Yeah. Um, and like there are little nods, like the the senior mentioning, there are little nods to like the art in the, oh, I think it was Donnie Cates was writing, but it was, uh, Chris Boccolo on art for the, or no, Mark Wade and Chris Boccolo. Like the coloring in that section was a callback to a more recent run that was really good. Like, I feel like it's full of a lot of little nods like that that are cool, but that you don't have to be aware of to, to actually enjoy the book. Yeah. Um also there's an opening in my my heart for a magical school full of teens learning to do magic. 
I'm looking for a replacement for one of those. So this works. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely will be checking out more of this. It also had just like a really good kind of Halloween vibe for October. Yeah, that's, I think, super fair. The comics we got were on September 30th. Okay, I was just going, it's October as we talk. And Nailbiter definitely said the next issue comes out in October. And I had a moment of just like, what? Yeah, I think I think it always comes out the last week of the month. So it's probably like right before or on Halloween. I don't know what day of the week it falls on this year. I think it's uh, the 28th. Um, but yeah, no, like this, sorry, that was just spinning out of me saying that this has like a really good kind of Halloween-y feel without being like, and we're going to a costume party. It's tapping into like the side of New Orleans, the like ghost side of New Orleans. Yeah. Um, which I, I love. Th- like my favorite thing about New Orleans is that like they're definitely for sale signs that mention if it's haunted or not. <laughs> so I'm all for that. Well, I think that's one of the things I really like about this book and this issue in particular is the fact that these are all new characters means that, like, seeing them go into the French Quarter to just kill time and hang out is a really good way to sort of let us get to know them as readers as they're kind of getting to know each other. Uh-huh. Like, we're not sitting on, oh, yes, we know everything you've ever done, and why don't you tell this person about that secret time that you kissed their brother or whatever? Yeah. Like, we're we're discovering as they discover. And I think in comics, that's not something you get often out of Marvel and DC. Definitely not. It definitely always feels like you're kind of getting thrown in and you need to know a little bit about the lore. So it it was, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of getting thrown in and needing to know about the lore, I'm going to be real quick on X-Factor number four. Okay. Um, This is part two of Ten of Swords. Uh, We get three issues next week, so we'll probably spend a little more time then. But after part one, uh, Ten of Swords creation, sort of told us what was going on, at least in the first act of Ten of Swords, X-Factor is more about immediate consequences. So the big thing that comes out of this issue, and this issue is mostly from Polaris, from Lorna's point of view, um, the characters who we saw either seriously injured or killed in creation, they get brought back to Krakoa to be revived. And Xavier and the five decide, you know what? Anyone killed in conflict will get bumped to the list of regenerations. So instead of waiting, they can immediately be brought back, briefed on what's happened, choose what to do from there. And what we learn is because Rockslide died in Otherworld, which is the nexus of all reality, every universe in the multiverse touches it. The rock slide who comes back is not the rock slide who died. He's an amalgamation of different parts of rock slide from across the multiverse, like different memories, different physiology, different personality. And essentially what this means is if you die in other world, that is a permanent death, which is not something mutants have had to face since establishing Krakoa. So with that in the background as they're preparing for this big tournament to the death 
to prevent Arako from invading our Earth, suddenly they don't have the ability to just undo whatever consequence. Um, so that's that's a big thing. That's one of the biggest status quo changes we've had since Dawn of X uh, uh, sort of got going after House of X and Powers of Tin. Uh, we see a couple of other things happen here. Lorna uh, spouts off a prophecy that kind of lists who the Tin sword wielders are and what the swords might be. Uh, and then we sort of get the the agreement from the ten of them that, yeah, they have to do this anyway, even if it means running the risk of dying. And that's more or less where this leaves us. I'm so far behind. I understood most of those words, but I haven't read <laughs> X-Men in so long. Yeah, I, I don't... On the one hand, I think you probably could jump in with like the two prelude issues x-men 12 and excalibur 12 and then just jump on the the ten of swords stuff for the most part um there may be some status quo that sure that is new but i also feel like they're doing a pretty good job of just in passing mentioning what that status quo is before they change it if it's relevant so <clears throat> on to batman Yep, Batman Superman Annual number one. <laughs> you read this, right? Yes. Uh, this was fun. I definitely had a moment where I was like, why am I reading three things that are Batman? I don't like <laughs> Batman this much. And, I was so uh, surprised when I, I read, know. read it your was, list. I, I think I just was like, I haven't bought any Batman in a while. I'm just going to grab, oh, no, I suddenly have three. Um, but this was a lot of fun. Like, <sighs> I got a lot of mixed feelings in Batman in this world right now. Yeah. And the idea of just like toy people playing with toys, playing with toys, playing with toys, and like that actually being the multiverse, I just, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. It's a big, goofy, fun one shot. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect from it. Um, I also love the Batman esque imp. I can't remember what his name is at the moment. Batmite. Yes never heard of him before totally down <laughs> for him uh and yeah it just was <laughs> and then the, like the fact that the kids are like you made this awkward <laughs> like you made this uncomfortable that was, was maybe like, my favorite part yes yes <laughs> and then batman and superman being like were we just plastic action figures yeah yeah you were yeah okay. like i love that the way this starts out it it's like these fifth dimensional kids and then Mr. Mixit Spitlick and Batmite are just playing with these action figures. And as the issue goes on, it slowly dawns on you, or at least it slowly dawned on me, <laughs> that, wait, no, these aren't just action figures. They've actually taken Batman and Superman and turned them into toys. Yes. And they're, they're futzing with reality with, the two of them turned into action figures. Yeah. And the fact that it kind of ends with Batman. I think it's Batman being like, I should probably learn like how to get to the fifth dimension or like how to understand or whatever. Yeah. And Superman being like, they're, they're gods. That's all you need to know. And he'd be like, eh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> all the more reason to learn yeah. how to stop them. Um, but yeah, I just, it, I, I picked it up. Knowing it was an annual, um, I honestly thought it was just a Batman annual. And then I got home and was like, oh, this is Batman Superman. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to read Batman v Superman. And this was a really pleasant surprise. Uh, just yeah. 
everything's a little dreary. This is wonderful. Well, and it's it's such an optimistic take on the kind of who would win in a fight arguments because both Mixie and Batmite are coming from a place of like really earnest love of the heroes they each torment. Like Mixie is convinced Superman would win because Superman is just that good. And Batmite is convinced Batman would win because Batman is just that yeah. clever. No, I love it so much. Yeah. All right. How about Batman the Joker War Zone number one? This one I feel like is probably, of everything on this list, the hardest thing you just picked up to actually know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I knew it was kind of a collection of short stories and that it probably took place in the Batman um, that I am probably now like four trees behind in the Batman. It's been a minute since I've read some Batman. Yeah. Um. That being said, I... Okay. This is not any, like, negativity towards the actual comic. Sure. But, man, am I tired of the Joker. Ed, this was kind of hard to read in, like, the sense of just, like, man, I'm kind of tired of the Joker. So by the last short story, I basically skimmed it. The art was really great. But... And, and it, again, it's nothing on the right or anything. It's just me being, like, fucking hell, I'm tired of the Joker. That being said, I really liked this collection. I loved the Poison Ivy. Yes. Well, and I think, I, I've i said it many times, I am with you on being tired of the Joker. If this were not, if James Tynan, like there's a very small list, James Tynan is on it, of people whose Batman run I was like gonna stick on the book for. Like Tynan, I chose to stick around for if it had been like Tom Taylor or Magdalene Visaggio or you know, a favorite writer. Yeah. Those are the ones who I'd kind of told myself after the Tom King run, yeah, I'll I'll stick on Batman. And then they announced the Joker where I'm like, mm, I trust you, Tynan. Yeah. But, and I think actually the ongoing has worked pretty well. I still, like, struggle with so much Joker everywhere. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's just everywhere. Yeah. And, I mean, that being said, like... The first short story of this with Lucius and Luke, um, I really enjoyed. And I feel like that's the actual one that is the continuation. Um, and the Poison Ivy one I really liked. Um, also, the side characters of, like, the two girls that are now out fighting crime. Um, I, I really liked this collection. It's just, it suffered from the fact that it was the third Batman thing I read. And me yeah. being like, God damn, I am so tired. So you read this after you read Three Jokers? Yes. Okay. That will also do it, I bet. Yeah. Um, nope, I just realized the first one was the Bane story. And I liked yeah. Joker goading the Bane, or goading Bane. I just, again, it's a lot of the Joker. Yeah. And if we have finally gotten to the point where we can't have Batman without the Joker, then that's a problem. And that's just that's just my thoughts. Again, it's just like X-Men. X-Men has like found a way of not like centering on Wolverine. And Batman needs to find a way to not center on the Joker. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I'm i really hopeful that... What's the upcoming movie? It's just The Batman, right? Yes. And I... I'm really hopeful that with it... With it focusing on the Riddler... Yes. That that takes some of the focus off of the Joker. Yes. Uh, I can't imagine the Joker going away entirely, but... No, and that's fine. It's just time for him to go back in his box for a little bit. Yes. 100% agree. Play agreed. with the other toys. 
The other thing I want to, the thing I really want to dig into on this is I'm pretty sure that all of these short stories are actively setting up storylines for 2021. Okay, I just remembered only one of them had like the continuing in 2021 or something like that. Um, And that's fine. Like I figured they were all just setting the stage for what's to come. Um, it just felt like one part of it specifically yeah. had like a, all right, this is going to be continued elsewhere. And I was like, okay, cool, fine. Well, like a lot of these, a lot of these anthology one shots do tend to just sort of give us background for what's going on in a big story. Sure. But the Bane Joker one shot does end with to be continued in 2021. The Lucius Fox, Luke Fox story. Is oh. written by John Ridley, who we know is writing a Batman miniseries in 2021 with a black Batman. I really, really dug that one. And again, it's so good. I <laughs> I feel bad, like, just railing on it. But I really did actually enjoy this collection of short stories because that one not only focuses in on the fact that, like, things are fucked up because of the Joker. We still are also in a society where a black guy it, who is in his own house um almost gets shot and then you see like yeah. the the black female um cop kind of side-eyeing the white guy that almost shot lucy uh-huh i'm looking at that panel yeah. now it yeah. was um appreciated well and like even on top of that it's not like just this is a random black man in gotham this is the ceo of wayne tech like this yeah. is the second to bruce or president yes. of the board whatever i'll never understand corporate structure um i also enjoyed you mentioned the spoiler and cascane story uh i love these two i'm glad to see these two like teaming up for fighting fighting the joker's trainer i guess basically his yeah that was that was a fun like really cool way of looking at it especially as there's discussion of like the bat signal isn't just for Batman. It's also yeah. important to other people for a ver- a variety of reasons. And this is one that I know that Batman's editor has said. It doesn't say in here that it would be building anything in 2021, but Batman's editor has teased that we would get more of the two of them working together in 2021 before cool. this came out. Cool. Um, and kind of by process of elimination... I assume that's going to be true of the Ivy story, too. Actually, no, that one does end with to be continued in 2021. Oh, it does. Okay. I'm that one sad. says it, too. Yeah. Um, it's I kind of really in the sort it. of green root vine things coming up under it. Gotham. Yeah. No, that is a very upset and hurt and grieving Ivy from the sound. Yeah. Like. And uh, yeah, that was. I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. And then the last one I love, I love James Takoe's art. I really love the art from this one, but this one I just, I, I have to be honest, I skimmed the last one because yeah. I just, it, we were back on the clowns. And I there was a an artwork that was, uh, have a, it's not for clowns or something like that. And I really, really, really enjoyed the artwork of this. I just was yeah, done like, with Joker stuff at this point. I do not know how Stokoe crams so much detail into, especially his backgrounds, without it being busy. But he really does a great job. Oh, yeah, I see the one you're talking about. It's one of the Joker's clowns kind of turns a corner and sees this uh, 
box truck flipped on its side with clown free zone spray painted and then like a clown face with an x over it yes yeah uh and we know clown hunter who is the the character who shows up and just sort of brutally wipes the floor with the joker's henchman we know clown hunter is an ongoing part of tynan's batman run so like that i think all of this is stuff we'll see come back that makes sense. Yeah. Let's talk about the three Jokers. Yeah. Um, Did you go back and read number one for two? No, or? but okay. I think it makes, um, the story makes some sense. Um, like, I, I didn't have a problem reading this on its yeah. own. Uh, there's enough context clues throughout. and Well, uh, and I, I feel like, and I said this in the episode, I feel like number one hits a lot of beats you expect it to hit setting this story up. Yes. So I do think it's probably pretty easy to fill in those blanks, especially yeah. like you said, with, with context here. Um, and this reminded me of what the White uh, Knight run, um, which I haven't read the second arc of that, but I need to. Um, the whole like different Harley Quinns. Um, yeah. We got the different Jokers, and I, 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 I like that concept of like these villainous roles being passed down. Even though Bruce Wayne apparently hasn't been passed down, he's just one person. Um, I mean, he's died and passed it on a couple of times, but he always takes it back. Sure, sure, that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> um, I know what you mean. But I really like uh, this. F- I think I liked this because it felt so horrific. Yeah. And a lot of the art, especially, and how it was handling the story. Um, and maybe that's why I wasn't like, oh, I'm so tired of Jokers. Because this one kind of leaned in the, the horror more. And, like, I I don't know. Part of me is always, like, Batman does not lean into Batman. The way that Batman is, like, discussed and being portrayed these days, Batman should be a horror comic. Batman should be... As graphically gross as Nailbiter <laughs> or something. And I understand why you can't because you have kids that are reading this and that are going to come into this is where Nailbiter's not. I get that. But I feel like this Three Jokers really pushes that line, especially the um, pull scene um, with yeah. all the bodies. And then we find out they're not all dead bodies. And I think that's why I really enjoyed this. Gotcha. That makes sense as you explain. I. I'm a little surprised that you enjoyed it. <laughs> if I don't keep you on your toes, you won't have me back. <laughs> well, that's not true. But um, I'm, I'm also glad you did because I, I actually think there is more that is interesting to me in this issue than there was in the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, including what you said. I think the art and the attention to detail in the art is the biggest strength of this book. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do find interesting, not in and of itself, maybe the idea that the Joker wants to bring Jason Todd in and make him a Joker, but the idea that the Joker then rejects him for that, I think is interesting. I feel like that's part of the game. That's just, that's just another well, way of terrorizing him. I do too a little bit, but there was another thing I wondered. The, the Joker number one, the criminal. While he's talking to Jason, talks about how it hurts him to laugh and how he's looking for that same kind of pain, like lingering pain in Jason. And he just doesn't see it. And that's why he rejects him. 
And I think the most horrifying part of this to me was when Jason wakes up in Barbara's room after like he's he's the Joker has beaten him again. Barbara takes him back there to to rest and heal up and all that. And he wakes up and he sees in the closet Barbara's folded up wheelchair and all these books oh, yeah. on physical therapy. And there was this moment where like, oh, is this going to be, like, is is the third book of this going to be Barbara's the one, really, who cool. as controlled and cool-headed as she usually is, is actually the one who the criminal's looking for? I mean, I'm all for that. I just, like, I think I talked about this last time I was on, like, someone brought up the concept of, like, a black woman becoming the Joker and the reasons yeah. for the backstory, and I fucking love that. And, like, if that's the case, if Barbara switches sides and, like... That's a cool concept for me. Um, so... That being said, <sighs> Barbara's a little tougher because uh, there's just, mm, there's some stuff about that. that mm, I can go yeah. either way on that. It would depend on how it is handled. I think that's really what it comes down to. I'm so torn on that idea for, I think, the same reason. Just the killing joke to me as someone who came to comics just 10 years yeah. ago doesn't work. Nope. Like. It is a rough comic to read if you did not read it back in the 90s. I think, yeah. And I think even more so than Death in the Family, which is Jason's Joker death story. Okay. Like, I think even more so than that, it feels gratuitous. At least in that way that, like, the reason Barbara gets shot in it is not even because the Joker is after her for being Batgirl. It's to get to her father. It's that same kind of coincidence that, you know, it, it just, it had already aged out of being something I was interested by the time I, yeah. I got to it. And anytime it comes back up, like, I have trouble getting past that sort of apathy toward that story. Yeah, there's, I don't know, I just, you're right. And remembering the killer Joker, like, even if she turns evil, I just don't see her going with the Joker, the one who caused her all this pain. Yeah. I don't know. But focusing in on the fact that, like, this had some of the more horrific elements that I think should be associated with um, the Joker. I mean, the Joker is, like, toted as his biggest villain or blah, 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 and, like, it's supposed to be this horrific. This showed me a horrific Joker. Yeah. Well, I think it helps that this is... I think it's safe to say at this point, like, this is not in continuity. There's really no way this book no. can be in continuity. And I've read interviews with Jason Fabok about, like, design choices wanting this to feel timeless. Like, it's it could be from any point in Batman's history, but also, like, it isn't at any one specific time. So I really think that this is, while it was originally planned to be an answer to a question raised in continuity, something separate from that now. And I think it benefits from that, because I think it can, if it wants to do something out of left field with Barbara like that, I think maybe it's better to tell that story without it being in continuity, so that it becomes this thing that gets folded into her history and has to be dealt with over and over and over again, like The Killing Joke. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is it still good? <laughs> this is on me. Dark Knight's Death Metal Multiverse's End. Uh, this is set on the six remaining Earths. Uh, groups of Earth Zero heroes, each led by a different Green Lantern, are trying to free everyone tied to the uh, 
towers that are powering Perpetua. And this one really focuses on Earth Zero, really on a conversation between Jon Stewart and Owlman. If you jumped into Dark Knight's death metal without having read, like, everything from metal and no justice on this is actually a really good recap issue okay i almost debated this but again i was like mm, that is a lot yeah. of that man it's a really good recap issue or like honestly there are a couple of details in here because this has gone on for a while now that i had forgotten about so it helped fill in or remind me of some things that had kind of become blanks the thing brian and i had both talked about wanting from this issue sort of seeing it be the end of act one of death metal and giving us some forward movement in the story and i guess it makes sense that it doesn't do that 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 would be saved for a regular numbered issue of death metal uh, but it doesn't really do that there is i think a cool idea about owlman in here and Owlman as he relates to the Batman who laughs. Uh, specifically, at the start of this, Owlman is jealous of the Batman who laughs. Because Owlman is supposed to be the true dark reflection of Batman. Not this upstart. And, like, the reason this is just a conversation between him and Jon Stewart is because Jon Stewart's, like, kind of goading him into using this jealousy to, to get him on his side. Okay. Uh... It's fun, but it's not it's not like the big explosive chapter break that we we kind of had hoped for. Legion of Superheroes number 9. I'm taking a little more time on some of these okay. just because. Uh Legion of Superheroes number 9. This is the second of two issues that are what Bendis is called like artist jams where each page basically is a different artist giving us basically a different Legion member's perspective. Uh the whole Legion is on trial, so, like, each of them is weighing in in the Legion's defense. And to me, this really feels like the first big act break for this Legion run. Um, it's in what will be collected as the second volume, but this sort of gives us the explanation of why Rimbor's been attacking and has been attacking the Legion and what they're up to. And it sets stakes in... A way that I don't really understand the implications of, because I've never gotten into older Legion stuff, but that I do recognize as using a very important phrase to Legion history, we learn that a great darkness is coming. And I know one of the biggest Legion stories is called the Great Darkness Saga. We don't really get context of what that means here, if it's an allusion to the same thing, or a new version of that, or something different. But I feel like using the phrase Great Darkness over and over in a Legion book is a pretty big deal. Uh, Wonder Woman 763, this one I think is easy to be quick on. <laughs> it is the family reunion between Maxwell Lord and his daughter. Cool. Uh, Chu number three, Sage intervenes to stop the assassin who was sent after her from killing her twin sister after her shitty, shitty boyfriend. Uh, tried to pass the twin sister off as Sage, and Tony is on Sage's trail. Like, Tony knows Sage is up to some shady shit. Avengers number 36. This is also kind of a big status quo change issue. Um, this is the moment where... I'm not gonna spoil this one, but this is the moment where Moon Knight decides to pray to a different god. And... 
Um, oh boy, I do not know what comes from this, <laughs> but Moon Knight gets a big ol' power-up as a result. Alright. Fantastic Four number 24. Uh, this is sort of the official adoption party for Joe and Nikki, uh, who are, who are being taken in by Ben and Alicia. And against that backdrop, the Human Torch and Iceman argue about whether or not Iceman was ever really a member of the Fantastic Four. It's it's like a good breath of fresh air issue, and also kind of a lot of fun. And that is it. It was kind of a light week for me, honestly. No, I can see that. I, I There wasn't a ton that, uh, in general, that, like, I don't know, it felt like a lot of reprints I was seeing, because I... Almost grabbed uh, an Ice Cream Man comic that I definitely already have, but I think it's yeah. in like its third or four um, reprinting, which means I should probably actually read it if it's getting reprinted so much. <laughs> I'm now very curious. Yeah. Well, you know, it would be something we could talk about on the Spooptacular. You don't say? I do say. Ooh. Um, that explains why this week felt a little like September, September had five Wednesdays. Oh, uh, yeah, so that makes things sense. Things got spread yeah. out a little more. Um, also, this coming Wednesday is like a 25 book week for me, so a heavy week. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, let's talk about next week. I'm glad it's a heavy week for you. Uh, there's only three things that I'm really kind of looking forward to. Well, uh, tell me about Black Widow number two. I, I, I really can't. Like, I haven't read Black Widow number one, but I'm going to tell you straight up. Kelly Thompson's writing it. I'm reading it. Eventually. <laughs> I for anybody who doesn't follow like me or Alex and um, Minds at Yerker, any other thing else, um, I just moved, so um, behind in like reading everything. And All right, you haven't been on here since. No, um, and so like have found comic store, um, didn't buy comics for months because months because of COVID. Um, having to readjust my budget to add comics back into that, especially as it's like, oh shit, I'm behind in a lot of these arcs and things. Like for instance, Kelly Thompson started a new Sabrina arc that I'm like, oh fuck, I need that now. Um, so I have the first issue of Black Widow because it's Kelly Thompson. The second issue comes out next week. I haven't read the first one, but I know I'm going to love it. I don't care. Yeah. I know I'm going to love it. I I will say strong recommendation. Do read one before you jump in for two on this one. Oh, and decide if I like it. Um, I I, I definitely think you'll like it, but there's like a big status quo shift. Okay, and one sort of connects some dots. Cool. There's still a mystery to it, but I think one is an important issue for this one. No, yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. Not I know that sounds like a dumb week, thing so. to say. <laughs> Well, I mean, but, considering that I have admitted at least two comics that I was like, yeah, I read this without reading the, you know, one that came before it. Um, it's a weird well, like, habit. You, you are really comfortable jumping in on issues, which is something that, boy, howdy, I wish I were as comfortable with you on that. I am not. Because I kind of obsessively have to, have to read whole chunks of I'm, things. I'm not, but um, I came into comics... Uh, in roughly 2016, I think it's, I don't, yeah, it's definitely not been five years. Cause I definitely was in New York when I started. Um, and so, um, have kind of accidentally jumped into things randomly a few times. <laughs> so it's not something that I, I necessarily recommend to anybody or, um, do very frequently, but I guess I'm comfortable enough these days that I can pick up 
an issue if I have any kind of like familiarity with it and be able to go like, cool, with context clues, I can kind of figure out what's going on and also kind of decide, yeah, this is something that I'm going to want to read or like catch up on. Um, That being said, I do also still just have my comic uh, writers that I love that um, put things out like Kelly Thompson. Fair. I still say that's the best way to do it. Know the writers, creators. Yeah, definitely. Uh, My first pick for next week is Getting It Together, which is a four-issue miniseries from Image written by Cena Grace, (laughs) which is, uh, speaking of reading the writers you like, yeah. Uh, this is a relationship comic about sort of like a found family friend circle. Okay. Where one character's sister starts dating the that character's best friend and just like the relationship drama okay. that comes with that. I may have to check that out. Yeah. I definitely, so I don't have my camera on. I just realized, but I definitely just had an epiphany and made like peacocking wild motions that you did not see, um, which is fine because the listeners didn't either. But I definitely just realized that there is something coming out next week that I'm so super excited for. Yeah. What's that? The Animorphs graphic novel. Oh, shit. That is next week. Yes. It just hit me. I was like, shit, that is October 6th. Time is so weird, right? I mean, like, what even is it? It is both October 3rd. And October 27th to me right now. I don't know what yeah. time is. But yes. <laughs> um, Yeah. And hey, I'll go ahead and mention it here. So for Minds at Yerk, uh, we recorded an interview with Chris Grine, who handled the graphic novel adaptation. Uh, you're certainly welcome to go listen to it there. But after it comes out at some point, we'll probably give it a few days there first. But I will feed drop it into the Panelology feed, too. Uh, it's Meg and Tim and me, so you know all of us, and we're <laughs> talking about a graphic novel. Yeah, and if you haven't checked out any of his stuff, um, he just announced a, another graphic novel he's coming out, um, I think it's in about six months, that um, is his own creation. And um, having read uh, several of his own creations on top of the Animorphs graphic novel now, um, big fan. Definitely on my list of auto buys now. So very yeah. excited about that. And when when that book gets solicited, we will yeah. we will definitely mention it then. Buffy the Vampire Slayer number eighteen. I don't know what's going on in Buffy, but I can I just keep buying them. I buy them in single issues because I love the art. <laughs> and then I buy them in trade. And then I need to sit down and actually read the trade. Yeah. I'm gonna be reading it a lot in December, let's just be honest. That's fair. I mean no reason you can't get a head start if you want. <laughs> That's that, that is incredibly valid. <laughs> hey, this is what I tell myself every time. Like, I started our spooptacular list, what, beginning of September, late August? That's very true. Ask me, ask me how many of the things I put on that list that I've actually read ahead of time. Um, I started one today because I was going to pass it off to a friend and then I didn't finish it and didn't pass it off and also didn't give them anything else that I have of theirs. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I bought a couple things. They're sitting on my desk. I haven't read them yet. Uh, Champions number one out next week. This is Eve Ewing who wrote Ironheart. Uh, and this is very much picking up the outlawed mini-event plotline that's going on and sort of moving the ball forward on it. I'm super excited for 
e-viewing writing champions. It's a five-issue miniseries. Definitely checking it out. <laughs> Lock and Key in Pale Battalions Go, number two. Um, yeah, I loved the first um, round, I guess, of Lock and Key. And um, despite the fact that I do believe the TV show has been canceled, I am glad they are continuing to put out the new comic. Um, I think it's only three issues. It might be four. Um, of a mini arc, but I think it's going to continue after that as well. So, um, got a bit of a love hate relationship with Joe Hill, but I love Lock and Key. Fair. I didn't know the show had been canceled. I thought it was getting a second season. I'm full. Maybe I am speaking out of turn. I thought, you know what? I may be confusing it with the other comic show we were at, we watched. September Faction. That did get canceled. Yeah. I thought Lock and Key. I'm looking it up right now because I don't want. It also may be that they had said they were going to do a second and then after. That's what I'm wondering as well. Yeah. Uh, While you check that, my third thing is Legend of Swamp Thing. Halloween Spectacular. Okay, that does sound great. Uh, Listen to some of the writers working on this. Vita Ayala. Philip K. Johnson, Tom King, James Tynan, Rom V, Emma Rios and Christian Ward are doing art, uh, among others. I, it's no secret that I like Swamp Thing, (laughs) and a bunch of writers I love are working on it. Yeah. Uh, I was wrong. Lock and Key is still set to have a second season. I definitely got it confused with um, October Faction. Yeah. Which... I feel like it's kind of an easy thing to do. They hit at the same time and have sort of a similar vibe from what I've watched of... I've only seen the first episode or two of Lock and Key, so like... That's fair. Big houses, big gothic houses, yeah. Yeah. Netflix's gothic house budget must be through the roof. Yes. And I love it so much. It makes me happy. (laughs) All right. Well, that will do it for this week. Um, we will be back next week. Brian may be with us, maybe not. It all depends on how beach life treats him. Uh, until then, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com, support us at patreon.com slash panelology, get merch at bit.ly slash merch, capital P, capital M, or send us questions, comments, etc. at bit.ly slash mailbag. Capital P, capital M. Meg, do you have anything you want to mention, plug, promote? Sure. Um, again, uh, Mindset York is on an off week this week, but because the Chris Grind graphic novel is coming out, we did interview him, and we are dropping that on October 6th, which will be the day after this comes out. Um, I also co-host a Judging Book Covers podcast, um, where um, we've been reading some really great things, but also then we read something um, that we realized in 2020, we actually can hit our limit and we're going to talk about the first book that we didn't finish. So. Oh, really? Yes. Um, it is something that we're going to handle with care and cause it is an author that we really like. Um, but there are a lot of things that we have come to realize that we don't have patience for in this world. And we are not going to bash anybody on that. Um, we're just going to talk about why I guess, um, Maybe our tastes are going to change on the podcast. It's, it's you know, it's just going to be kind of a, you know, if you're one of those people that are like, I always have to finish everything, um, as my co-host Stephanie is, um, <laughs> come listen to us um, talk about a book where I, t- she went, I have 200 more pages of this book. And I went, Stephanie, put it down. We're done. We're done. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I 
that's what I do. Um, and the way we haunt now uh, starts this week as well, um, which is an audio drama that I um, have a small part on. So it, yeah. Awesome. That's well, that is super cool. <laughs> Check all of that stuff out. In the meantime, I'm Alex. And I'm Megan. Go read comics! Mm-hmm.